Welcome to the Propane Business Podcast. I'm Johnny. And I'm Yusuf. We set up and built propanefitness.com into the profitable semi-automated system that it is today, which allowed us to quit our corporate jobs and coach online full-time. More importantly, we were able to do this without a huge online audience or being glued to social media every day. We're now ready to share everything from the failures we've made to the systems that now consistently generate hundreds of thousands in revenue. We help personal trainers, coaches, and gym owners do the same by avoiding the mistakes we've made and the best practices going forward. Subscribe to this podcast to learn what we're doing and what we've done to build and scale propanefitness.com. We'll be teaching you how to generate a steady flow of online clients, win at Facebook ads, automate your coaching systems, and to achieve financial independence. Good morning. We are here with Dan Go, Mr. Monosyllabic Name. And actually, I, I saw something recently saying that um, a really high, like 70% of CEOs have monosyllabic first names. So Jeez. Dude. it's already in the, uh, you've already got it going for you. So I've seen Dan grow from 1,000 followers on Twitter um, when I first heard of him up to 5 trillion followers. <laughs> on twitter now which has been amazing like his growth has been fantastic he's known as the fit founder on twitter he's a uh a man who is basically fit over 40 is kind of the the angle but Mm. really his content is so much more about um the metamorphosis that he's i knew i'd bugger that one up on the podcast (laughs) metamorphosis that he's gone through in both mindset physique profit lifestyle mm. and it's been awesome to see the the growth and the journey especially yeah. where he's been staying humble staying engaged and i think there's a lot of great lessons to learn from dan dan thanks thank for coming on thank you very much for coming on by the way my goal was a bajillion and we uh, only hit a trillion so kind of disappointing um, yeah um but yeah man uh dude money and fitness named two topics that are just that you could talk about all day long, you know? Um, and yeah, man, I, I'm excited because I feel like there's no angle on Twitter that actually promotes the mutually, like people have this mutually exclusive agreement that you can't really make a million dollars and you can't have a six pack at the same time. And I would like to just go in and squash everyone's fucking limitations and just show them what the what the fuck is possible and and the fact that guys can actually have it all. So I, I work specifically with entrepreneurs, guys of the high achieving variety, and um, and there's like this there's like this weird kind of like deal that they make with themselves where they say, okay, well I'm just gonna shit the bed on my health for the next five years. And I'm going to focus on this business. I'm going to make a bunch of a trillion dollars or whatever it is. And then I'm going to focus in on this health thing right afterwards. And I'm like, you should actually do both together at the same time because they're, they are both, uh, they're actually both uh, mutually beneficial when you focus on both at the same time. So anyways, that was a diatribe. Thank you very much for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, well, it's it, you're right though. It's such a false economy of people thinking that oh, I've got to be all in and I've got to like just focus on you know nineteen thousand hours a day of just business and never yeah. training. And it's like people, you're right. People forget that the vehicle that they are in is the thing that they're going to have to be operating their business from. And if you don't take care of it, your output is going to suffer. And it's very short termist to to and, and also like to say oh, I'll take care of my body in five years time. Mm. Like what you're going to go and and undo all of the five years of 
So people don't realize how much they're fucking themselves in the brain, right? Like, it's not even a body thing. I think everyone, like, especially like just some of the high achieving guys I see out there that are just extremely unhealthy, I'm looking at them and I'm like, you're literally using like 60% of your brain potential. Right. There's always this like dichotomy of like, oh, he's a jock, he's stupid, or you know, oh, he's skinny, he must be smart. But the thing is, is that if you get yourself in shape, that actually is the biggest boom to your brain, even more so. I would say like not more so than your body, but it's it's just as beneficial. I feel like I would not have been able to make the transformations in my own life if I didn't transform my body and transform my own like brain chemistry. Is that is that a confidence thing? Or is I, I don't think it's, well, actually, so from the evidence and science perspective, it's just obviously like when you work out, you make yourself a smarter person because you're sending off endorphins into the brain. You have brain derived neurotropic factor that's getting seeped in and it's just making you a less stressed, smarter person in general. Right. And then on the flip side, there's the spiritual end of things, which is the confidence angle. So when you can actually take off your shirt and be like, I'm pretty fucking proud of like what's what's showing back at me. And when your wife is starting to, you know, give you a couple of looks, when it's starting to like, you know, maybe have more sex. And when your kids are coming up to you and you have enough energy to play with them, that from a spiritual angle makes one just feel like they can conquer anything in the world. Right. I, I feel like actually most of the times when people work with me, they are really oversteered on like the success side when it comes to financial, when it comes to monetary. They are way understeered when it comes to the health side. I think people don't realize that these things are correlated, not, not just correlated, but you can't have one without the other. And mm-hmm. to try and operate your life as domains in a vacuum misses out on a lot of the synergy that you would get from and so you know you you said that people don't seem to make this link between profit and personal growth and uh, physical growth whereas actually a lot of the time like you will rarely see someone just succeed in one completely in a completely isolated way or if they do they're making it hard for themselves um this is uh, a concept that we've been um i've got a video coming out on soon actually just called burning a cleaner flame Mm. um the idea that if you're feeding yourself both mentally and nutritionally with crap then you're going to be a kind of like a a, a juddery engine that's Mm. like sputtering out little bits of output but needing a lot more cleaning do do you think and this is you can both answer this question do you think if you have two people who one of them is just doing, let's say, 12 hours a day of just focusing on work or business or whatever. And then the other person, and both of them are trying to optimize their business growth or revenue. And the other person applies a constraint and says, I'm going to devote seven hours a day to business and the rest of it I'm going to apply to other things that are supportive of that. You think all things held equal, less time devoted to the business equals equal or greater profit? This is a very tricky question. This is a very tricky question. Um, I personally don't like this question. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, I feel that when people look at time, it's highly subjective. And I actually say that the amount of time it takes to get yourself in shape 
is not in anywhere close to the amount of time that you would take to get a business into mm. whatever successful field or whatever success realm that you want. Mm-hmm. What I've found, and I, and I don't think I'm going to be answering this question any, you know, <laughs> with any kind of like, you know, gusto, but what I find with health and fitness is that when a client of mine loses weight, when they start feeling energy levels rise, when they start feeling more confident in their bodies and literally they're spending three hours a week in the gym, they're getting chefs or meal deliveries, you know, sent to them because they're entrepreneurs. They don't have time to make that shit or they have their wives making it when they actually just adopt healthy habits. And we're not saying six packs or anything. We're just saying, get yourself to a normal weight where you're avoidant of diseases. Okay. That's it. If you can actually do that, then what happens as a result is you see the meta effect on every single area of your life. So number one meta effect that I see is an increase in income. So I have been working with, uh, so I'll give you two examples. One of them is uh, I've been working with um, an e-com guy when COVID hit, basically his business almost like went to, let's just say below break even. And it, it wasn't profitable whatsoever. And then we helped him drop, I think maybe like 10 or 20 pounds within, or actually 10 pounds within the first month. And then he had the wherewithal in his brain to actually pivot, adapt, and to actually create a business that is doing double the amount of revenue that he had previously. I have another client who is a New York Times bestseller. And this guy, you know, monetary and financial, he's making a lot. He's doing great. But it was actually more of a push of productivity for him. So he got, he's, he's working on this biography for one of like the biggest stars in, in our world at this moment. He got that done during our time and it was clean. The energy was good. And he, like, he actually was the most productive during the time that we were working together. So with that being said, I look at health as the number one meta habit right? So if you are able to get results, if you're able to incorporate these basic habits into your life, then it's going to have a meta effect on every single area from your finances to your relationships to the to your children as well, to the actual epigenetic effect on your children. That's so a really good way yeah. of looking at it, mm. that it's it's the underlying thing. I, and I, yeah. I guess it's, the, it's almost like we all have a blind spot to it because mm. we as cliche as it is, we take it for granted until we, until we lose it. You know, there's that quote of like the only thing the unhealthy man wants is health, but Mm. healthy man doesn't even think about it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Actually it's so funny that you say that because I, I look at things when, even if you sprain an ankle, you know, if you sprain an ankle, all you're thinking about is wanting to walk normally again. And I actually think it's it's weird because when guys like wake up and they they have great genetics and they have six packs and then they have the business, I actually find that guys who have great genetics they take that shit for granted, right? We all know, like Yusuf, you know, um, or should I say, Doctor Yusuf? Sorry about that. Um, you know that uh, essentially when someone gains or loses body fat. They lose it from specific areas, and we can't choose where we lose it from. A guy at 13% body fat can have 
ripped six pack abs. But another guy at 13%, you look at his abs, you're like, you know, because he gained, he he loses all the fat on his legs. He gains all the fat on his on his upper body. You know, so th- this is something that that Johnny and I always uh, always have. We're on opposite ends of the spectrum. Like, I can be clinically obese, but I'll still have yes. abs yes. on the top of my massive belly. Dick. Whereas, whereas what a Johnny, dick. <laughs> yeah. Whereas Johnny will will have like he's had like feathered glutes and striated like vascular shoulders and stuff, but no abs before, and it's like painful. I Painful. I have the ripped leg syndrome. Mm. Okay, like even like the abs, like I, I post my abs or whatever. Mm. I post on Twitter. Like that stuff's at like you know like that stuff's at like twelve, eleven percent body fat. If I ever got one percent above that, oh my god, it'd be it'd be flab city. Yeah, yep. but my but my legs are ripped, ripped legs. <laughs> and everyone wants ripped legs, don't they? Like everyone's like. All the guys in the magazines, you think, God, if only I have legs as lean as that. You know, they- okay, so so since we're on this tangent, if a guy gains weight on his legs, if a guy actually like, I, okay, so I know one of my friends. One of my friends is a Kino Body, and he doesn't mind me outing him like this. So he does his Dexa. He gains his fat on his legs. What a dick, you know. And the thing is, is that. When he does his DEXA, it's like he has zero, like none, no body fat depositories on his upper body whatsoever. But his legs get bigger, you know? And I'm just like, you have like the, the golden, the holy grail. Like your legs are getting, your legs are big and you have ripped abs. How the? F- it's okay though, because it, it swings around about because he lives in a, in a tiny house and he has his <laughs> cars terrible. <laughs> True. True. He's living a horrible lifestyle. He's horrible. I look I at him and I think, God, I bet it looks, he looks like he's really struggling. Yeah, same, same. <laughs> You're right on that one. You're right. <laughs> All right. How did we get here? How did we get here? Well, well so we were talking about the interaction okay. of, of mind and body. And I, actually, like, just while we're on this, because I feel like this is the, the perfect time to, to talk about this, is um, part of what you said is that, like, we, we can't look at our life in silos and that growing your profit is kind of, that growth begets growth across mm. all domains of your life. And part of this, I guess, is is our fault um, that we, I mean, us bloody doctors, that we've caused this um, separation, this Cartesian model of mind and body being separate things, separate entities that is really just for categorization purposes rather than for the sake of um, anything that actually exists out in the, the real world. Like there is no anatomical point where mind ends and body begins. Mm. So... On that note, you have said that psychedelics have changed your life. And I I think this is probably one of the big precipitants of um, seeing the body in the mind as a a really experiential thing, along with a lot of other insights that seems to have come out of that. Can Mm. you talk us through some of your big bollocks uh, experiences with this? Because the the way you describe it, I'm like, I don't think I could handle what you've done. We should have an entire podcast around this. Like, okay, so my drug usage goes back to high school days, uh, just using it recreationally. And I am the only person in my family that does drugs, right? That that actually, like, experimented with drinking a lot, that experimented with weed, that experimented with shrooms. and, And I turned out completely different than everyone else. And I don't know if that's because of the drugs or because of anything else, but... Psychedelics has had a huge influence on my life. And it's actually taught me to 
to keep in mind the things that are actually most important and also to, to not take the things that aren't important seriously. So the way I, in which I have experimented with, experimented with psychedelics is recreationally. I would, you know, back then when I, so I'm 40, turning 41 this year. Back then when I was like 18 years old, I was in the rave scene, glow sticks and everything, you know, just like, <laughs> you know, the free lo- that, that was like the free love back then. Everyone was like in baggy cargo pants and dancing. You have and- the whistle. You have the whistle and then people are blowing like Vicks vapor rub in your face and shit. You know, (laughs) (laughs) it's like, it's like, that was cool. But that was like our free love, you know, Woodstock type of, I guess you could say era for, for me at least. And then I started to get really serious about psychedelics only about three years ago as a tool for mental improvement. So the, the, ways in which I take psychedelics is actually two ways. One of them is through microdosing, which is taking very small, uh, very small amounts of a psychedelic that is imperceptible to the mind in order to do one of two things in which I'll get to in about two seconds. The other one is what I, what we call macrodosing. And I've done macrodosing in a number of ways, obviously in a very recreational sense, and I've done it in a therapeutic sense. I've had a ther- I've actually had two therapists that sitting there. I had eye kind of like goggles on my face, uh, soundproof headphones with like healing music. And I was basically, I took MDMA and I was spitting everything that was going on in my mind into a tape recorder. So what psychedelics has done for me is, um, is, is actually a couple of things. When it comes to microdosing, it helps me manage mood, manage emotions. It helps me be more creative. And uh, I really do feel like it actually helps me smooth over a lot of the previous opinions I had about the world around me. So what psychedelics does is on a low level, if you're taking microdosing, and even on a high level, it, it, turns, it, almost does a, it turns off your body's default mode network right? So think of your brain as grooves and think of it like a ski hill. And every single time someone like runs down the ski hill, a groove is set. And the more people that run down the ski hill, the more the groove is set in place. And this is kind of like how we think about our thoughts in general. We like to think that we are independent thinkers, but in reality, we are thinking the same thoughts over and over and over and over. And this is why people are stuck in the same spots that they are, right? doing the same mistakes, all that kind of stuff. So what psychedelics does is it almost acts like a, like a snow plow and it just goes over these grooves and it gives you new grooves or actually it gives you kind of like a fresh slate to work with. So from a microdosing angle, um, it helps me on a small scale manage my mood, really be in touch with uh, why I'm doing what I'm doing and it gives me a boost in creativity. On a macrodosing angle, it shines the truth to my face. So I'll give you guys one story. So I was in uh, the Gili Islands in Bali. Uh, have you guys have you guys heard of Lombok or the Gili Islands or Okay, so you guys have to go there. All right? It's one of the most beautiful places, low key, not a lot, well, not a lot of tourists when I was there. And I was there with my friend Chad. And I was actually I'm I'm married right now and I was I told my 
my now wife, she was a person who I dated for like two seconds. I was like, and I, I, I just got to see you. So please come to Bali. And she was coming to Bali. And I was like, okay, well, this is going to be, this is going to be crazy. And me and my friend Chad decided to go to the Gilly Islands because she was coming and, you know, I wanted to spend more time with my friend before encapsulating myself in this whole like relationship business. So we go to the Gilly Islands and we take these mushrooms. He feeds me these real mushrooms that were actually picked from like the soil. If you, if you actually do like a Google of the Gilly Islands, it's like the most beautiful place in the world it is almost deserted. You can literally bike from one end to Island to the other. So we take these mushrooms and Chad goes off and he's just frolicking on his own. We literally split with each other. I put on my snorkel gear and I'm like in the ocean fighting with fish because it was being a bully with someone else. Anyways, don't have to get into that part. But after the trip or after the psychedelic trip was done, I remember sitting down at my hotel's restaurant with a red uh, moleskin journal. And then you know how island life is. It's like it'll like downpour for like 20 minutes, then it'll release itself for a little bit. So as, it, as I was writing this, like just downpouring, just downpouring of rain, all coming down. And I was underneath an umbrella, thankfully, and I was just writing. And I remember writing down, I want to sell my business. And that thought had never came up to me whatsoever. So previously to um, what I'm doing right now, I had owned a gym business for 10 years, actually 11 years. It's like 10 years and three quarters. Anyways, so I had owned that business. It was making me a lot of money, but I was not liking what I was doing. I was tired of it. I was sick of it. I was bored and it was done. And when I was writing down, I was like, I want to sell my business. That was actually one of the most surprising things I've ever, I've ever seen. Because I was just like, where is this coming from? And this is scary as fuck. Because this is giving me 100% of my revenue right now. This is the reason why I'm in the Gilly Islands and I'm able to do what I do because of this business. And what psychedelics does is it says, fuck all that. Fuck you. Fuck your opinions. Fuck what you think. This is what you really want. So when I wrote that down three years later, I ended up selling the business. And then uh, now I'm here where I am doing what I'm doing, talking to you guys. Wow. That, yeah. I've, I've heard people say that or people often report that exactly as you said, it's as if it hits you as a friend who knows you very well and says, this is what you need right now. Like, yeah, fuck all of your opinions. Mm. That, like objectively, given all the data, this is what you need to do. And I, I really like the snowplow analogy as well, because um, you mentioned brain-derived neurotrophic factor just mm. before, and that although there has, because of the kind of mass hysteria around psychedelics over the last 40 years, it really has stunted some of the growth in the research um, of these compounds. But it does seem like a lot of the uh, improvements that people are seeing from depression, anxiety, uh, obsessional disorders, PTSD, are BDNF mediated. Um, and so, and it does make sense with this kind of overriding some of the the grooves and just providing a bit of a soft reset for the mind to then recreate new forms of, of behavior and, and thinking patterns. There's a couple of things that popped up in my mind when that, when you were actually talking about that is, 
when I was going into psychedelic therapy, they were actually telling me, they're like, well, you're about to do seven years of, of therapy in about eight hours. And I was like, that's something like a marketer would fucking tell me, right? That's something like, <laughs> that's something like a marketer would say. But then I did it and I was just like, well, I just came to terms with my relationship with like my dad and my brother who I had resented for a very long time. Uh, so I, yeah, I get it. I also think that we have this like spirit and this consciousness in ourselves. We don't know what the fuck it is. I'm talking to you. I don't know where these thoughts are coming from. I don't. Like they're just coming out. So there's this spirit inside of you and you could call it consciousness and it wants what it wants. And a lot of times when people are not, you know, are kind of like stuck in the same thought patterns, they just keep on thinking they want what they want because they want it. But in reality, they want something completely different and they're actually going upstream and they're going against what they actually want. That we're getting in the way of ourselves. All the time. We are our own worst enemies. And one of the biggest things is the ego. Ego is the biggest enemy. And that's one of the places in which psychedelics is able to, let's just say, turn off. Everybody says, like, you're getting rid of the ego. You never get rid of the ego. It is always there. And if you think you get rid of the ego, then the ego just played a huge trick on you. Massive trick. So people say that you're able to turn off the ego this 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 kind of voice in your mind that wants that has pride that has envy that has jealousy and wants what it wants and whatever it is you're able to turn that off and get to the true voice of what you are actually trying to say so i i really want to ask you about the microdosing as well so i don't want to let that thread go but just before we do you mentioned that you sold your offline business and yes. i guess that takes us to the online stuff that you're doing and mm-hmm. um, all the stuff we wanted to speak to you about in terms of Twitter yeah. growth and the rest of yeah. it. So how, how do you suggest we proceed with all this? Oh my God. Um, <laughs> one thing I, I also time, have a question related to the, um, the brain I'm stuff. Asking, or, yeah, oh, the, the eye mask. The eight, the eight okay. hour experience, but okay. why don't we, um, why don't we let's do those questions and we'll move on to the, Let's talk about the business a little bit, and okay. then I'll talk about how I've made this transition to what I'm doing right now. Okay. Um, so, uh, and then I'll and and then maybe we'll go back to the to the all that other stuff because that stuff is super juicy too. So, I have I had owned one of those uh, conditioning centers, right? It's like one of those boot camps, or we called it. We actually started one of the first body transformation centers in all of North America, and it's still running to this day. And it's called Go Fit. It was called Go Fitness. Now it's rebranded to Go Girl Transformation. And I had owned that business for like 10, 10 years, three quarters. And literally, when you do something for that long and you're not necessarily wanting to grow it past the location that you're in, that's a bad sign. So, you know, like when we have brick and mortars, and um, you guys, you guys know we we talk about brick and mortars, right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So when you have a brick and mortar, it's you have two choices. You have you have the choice of licensing, or you have the choice of franchising. And for a person who is like addicted to growth, like I am, I looked at those two options, and I'm like, fuck no to both of those, because it's ridiculous. the The startup cost. It's ridiculous the overhead cost to having a brick and mortar. 
just for the leasing alone? Like, why don't I just like park my website and not pay five grand every single month? You know, so I was doing that for 10 years. We built that up and we were pretty much like hitting a million bucks, you know, from one location. And then at the same time, the psychedelic trip happened and I got, and I was just like, okay. And I basically said, okay, well, I know I want to sell this. So I spent the past three years after that setting up the business to sell. And, you know, when you have a brick and mortar and especially, I don't know, this is pre-COVID times, you want to build it eventually so it can be sold. Whatever business it is, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a brick and mortar or online. So, so for the past three years, you know, we were setting that thing up and there was some drama around it. You know, I think I was telling you guys before when we got on this phone, it's like, <clears throat> I, I put it up on sale for on this like uh, business sales site on Toronto in Toronto or whatever. My own employees found out that I was selling the business and they were like, what the fuck is happening, Dan? I was just like, shit. So I was like, all right, meeting everybody in here. So I, I basically told them, I was like, Hey, I'm going to be selling this business. I have no interest in it whatsoever, but you know, I'm, I'm going to give you guys a deal. And I'm going to say this, whatever the price I listed that, I'm going to give it to you for 50%, but we got to do it in like the share sale deal, which, which has like no capital gains anyways. And we tentatively agreed to it. And then we had just back and forth between lawyers. And if anyone's been through the process of selling a business, it is hard, really hard and stressful. And I was at the point right there where I was like, I'm going to let go of this business or I'm going to sell it. That's it. You know, I'm not going to carry this on anymore. And eventually we sold it. And at that point, I was just like, okay, cool. I took my wife to the Maldives. We, we got, a, got the Emirates flight and all that kind of stuff. And we went to the Sri Lanka. Then we went to Maldives. I kind of lived it up. And then I was like, okay, well, in the meantime, during that time that I was selling, I was moonlighting with online coaching. So I first started off with uh, mentoring with uh, this guy, Yuri, then mentoring with uh, a couple of other people I'm mentoring with right now. And at this point, it went from wanting to get as many online clients as possible to only allowing myself to work with the best of the best. So I have, and I am positioning myself and I have positioned myself as like the number one by transformation expert for high achieving entrepreneurs. That is who I target. I target politicians. I target New York Times bestsellers. I target high powered lawyers. I target people who are at the type A top of the top of what they do. And I work very closely with these people to get them into the best shape that they can. And based on the stuff that we talked about, you know, it's really just like mental hurdles more so than anything else. It's like, getting them over themselves rather than it is. It's just getting them to eat like adults and work out like adults, essentially. That's, that's what it is. So now when I was starting that, I was getting a steady stream of clients. I was making a lot of money and it was great. And I was feeling happy, but COVID, ha- COVID happened. And that was one month where COVID was happening and my baby was going to get born the next month. And I was just like, fuck. So it was like the first month in which I had not signed up any clients. I actually had two clients drop off because of COVID stuff, right? And I'm not going to lie. I was fearful. I was scared. So what do I do when that happens? I always 
look at other ways to adapt, other ways to pivot. So one of those ways was uh, was actually starting the Twitter account. And when I started the Twitter account, I was like, you know what? If I get to 1,000, I'm going to be happy. If I get to 5,000, I will be ecstatic. And then here we are 19K later in about four months, and there's no end to what we're doing. And if it wasn't for COVID, I would not have gone into Twitter. And one of the reasons that I've been able to grow is I've been able to get mentorship with uh, really cool guys. It's like when guys get mentorship with you, they are accelerated, right? They have the results accelerated because they have a mentor because they're being accountable, right? So I sought out mentors in my Twitter journey. One of the first ones was Ed Lattimore. And uh, he was, he basically just, he cut my learning time in by like a factor of 10. And uh, after I started growing with him, then I started to reach out to Zuby. I started to reach out to Jose, Jose Rosado. And these guys have been critical in my growth. And now here I am and I've surrounded myself with some pretty cool guys, uh, you know, that are, that are kind of like, we're all helping each other facilitate this growth on Twitter. Why Twitter in the first place? Why Twitter? Because uh, I was doing Instagram and I was just like, I'm not getting any traction on this. And it's kind of like, I don't know. It's like from a, from a spiritual angle, I'm like, I'm going to post this picture of myself with a surfboard and then I'm going to have this long diatribe about you could do anything you want in this <laughs> life, you know, like, or I'm going to post my picture with abs and be like, you are, you know, like you do Live or do life, not. Love. There is no, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I was like, that's so corny. That's so fucking cheesy. And that's not me, you know? And, and plus like, I wasn't even getting any growth out of it. So I was like, fuck this. Uh, so I went to Twitter and then one of the reasons I love Twitter is because I love just thoughts. I love, I mean, I actually tell this to everybody. It's like, if it wasn't for Twitter, all these thoughts would be, would be in here. I have like literally so much opinion about fitness, about money, about relationships, about whatever. And I mean, like Twitter just is like an outlet for me. Twitter helps me find people like yourself who are just like literally seeing the matrix as I see it. Right. I, I think I posted this thing on Twitter. It's like one of, I told my friend, I'm like, yeah, dude, I just like, you know, grew my account to like 16 K. That was like way back then or like a week ago. And, and then she was like, isn't Twitter so toxic? And I was like, dude, Twitter's only toxic if you're toxic, you know? So, so yeah, I just love the angle of having my thoughts being fucked with, with people of similar ilk like yourself and uh, guys like Oliver Canton, guys like Rogue Wealth and all these people. So that's the reason why, why I felt Twitter. And also like, if you're putting, if you're like posting stuff and you're seeing like this massive growth for me, I just put my head down and I just keep on working. You know, I'm just like, all right, we're just, we're seeing massive growth here. Let's just keep on doing it. You know? So has that been responsible mainly for the growth of your online business? Yes, it has been, I would say 90, 90% of the growth of my online business. And I haven't even maximized it. I haven't even been like, if you look at like my posts, I, I talk about fitness stuff, but I talk about everything. And, um, and I, I'm not necessarily clamoring for clientele because the clientele that comes to me, they're literally coming to me like very specialized. Hey, what's up? I'm an investor in this uh, early stage startup, whatever it is. They are like already vetted. So I have like, I guess you could say like the higher achiever people being like, I got to do this. 
I don't care what the fucking price is. Just get me into shape. And that's, that's essentially what I've been doing this entire time. So the, I think you were at the point where the two things that were interesting in the, in the story you've just been through is I think pretty much everyone I speak to has a facility, has the view or the goal of, well, I'm going to build it and I'm going to systematize it and I'm going to franchise it and then I'll have branches all over the country and then I'll go international. And you were very negative about that. Yeah. Because... Just, just the cost or what, what's the... Okay. So I know my friends who have actually done that. It's not looking so good right now, but we never knew COVID was actually going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. In my, uh, I guess you could say my philosophy was, number one, why make a million dollars with five locations when you can make a million dollars with one, right? Uh, I, I actually thought that when people franchise out, they're not maximizing the amount of members that they could actually have in their gym and the amount of programs that they can have. And... And quite frankly, like when I saw the franchise model, it was like, it just gave me the icky feeling. It's an icky feeling, you know, like it's not a fact of like poor business. It's just a fact of like overhead. It's a fact of the, like the other stuff that you don't see, the employees that you have to pay. And thus we have to pay payroll tax on top of that, right? It's like, why do we have to pay payroll tax? I don't get it, you know? So there was so much overhead attached to like one location in my mind. I'm like, why don't I just like shoot a website, have a social media account and not pay anything. Right. And you can actually like, I said that I was using Instagram before, but I was actually like the previous spot I was getting clients was actually Facebook. And that's not a that's not a sustainable business model, and you can only you can only grow past like you can't even grow past five thousand friends, right? And Facebook is just a cesspool in general. So, so yeah, when I thought about like the opportunity costs of opening up new locations, of having more locations, and all this kind of stuff, as opposed to the the opportunity costs of having an online business and the learning curve. I was like, online business, like 100% of the time, 100%, always. So what's the, is it, is it, I mean, what, again, this is the, the question people ask a lot of, you know, I'm a, I'm an offline coach, I'm a gym owner, <clears throat> things are going well. And it sounds like you got your business offline to the point of probably where most, most people are trying to get to. And yes. then you're like, you know what? No, I'm going to start again. <laughs> I'm it's not start, worth it. Yeah. So what is the, what do things look like now lifestyle wise? Like what, what are the, if you were to sell someone on why they should go off online, if they're an offline coach, what would you say? Hmm. That's well, number one is you're not attached to a location. You don't always have to go. Like the thing is like when people, even though my, my business was passive, you know, like passive, right. I had my business systemized to the gills. And we were, all I had to do was just work the marketing and like all this kind of stuff, but it's not passive at all. Having a brick and mortar is not at all passive. You are attached to a location. You are attached to the people that are at that location. You are, you are, they are now your responsibility and also the clientele. And you always have to bring in a steady stream of a lot of clientele into it. And I don't understand. Like, it's just not logical to me to pay, let's just say, ten grand in overhead 
every month as opposed to not paying any overhead at all. Like just from that angle, I'm like that it's just not logical to me, you know? And if you had the wherewithal to build a brick and mortar business, if you can have clients on a brick and mortar business, you can have clients online probably paying you a lot more than they're paying you in the brick and mortar business, most likely. So you have less uh, location headaches. You don't have to worry about the maintenance of that place or anything, bathrooms, cleaning, yada, yada. Now it's like wiping the equipment every time or whatever it is. You don't have to worry about the incredible overhead that comes with it. You don't necessarily have to worry about the amount of employees that you need to have because you need trainers to, to actually train these people. So if you don't need all of those, then owning an online coaching business seems like, seems like the easy thing to do, right? The, the smarter thing to do. I personally would much rather make, uh, let's just, I'll give you an example. Uh, I would much rather make a thousand bucks a month than spending 10,000 bucks to make 2000 a month. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we, we know someone who, um, just his churn is something like, he's making 60 K, but he's spending 70 K or something like, or, or, or it's, it's, it's making 70 K spending 60 K. And it's like the churn is so wide and his margins comparatively, like these huge numbers, just huge amounts of money just being shoveled around. And you're like, Oh God, like <laughs> if any part of that goes wrong, like mm. you're into the meat grinder. Um, so I think yeah. the success of your growth kind of leaves clues in many ways. And it sounds like there's a few things that you did, really right you kind of hit a home run with which was one you designed your lifestyle of how you wanted it and you preempted that stepped into the online space secondly you picked a single medium a single platform that was easy for you to create and resonated with the way that you that your mind works so um we were talking about this a couple of podcasts ago on an episode called should i start a podcast and the answer it's kind of obvious is well, if you enjoy podcasting, if you enjoy creating it as content, then yes, it's a good conversion tool. It's not a very good traffic tool, but that's a different conversation. Or or if you have a very visual life, you know, you, you, you live out on a beach or you, you're shredded all the time or you've got you're really good at ass selfies, then do Instagram, you know. But if um, you're good with c- producing a stream of concise thoughts, do Twitter and do blogging, you know. So it's kind of like you've matched your content creation style with the platform that you use and you accelerated your journey by seeking mentors with people who have done that themselves and kind of accelerated your, your learning curve. So that's, so that is really interesting. Can we talk a bit about the, the specifics of, of Twitter? Cause I think Mm. the mistake that, I mean, among the hundreds of mistakes we've made over the years, one of them is trying to do concurrently blog, Instagram, Twitter, podcast one, podcast two, mm. um, Snapchat, email, like what, whatever, just trying to do the, all of them at once. Yeah. And YouTube, of course. Um, mm. Whereas it seems like you've gone dick and balls in to Twitter mm. <laughs> and you you are prolific on it. Like the frequency that you... <laughs> oh no, I've set him off. I just got a <laughs> visual, man. Like <laughs> just the whole package. Um yeah, and you you are prolific. Like I was looking at your timeline earlier today, and it's like it's 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 constant. Can yeah, you talk to minutes. us a bit about what's that, Johnny? Just every seven minutes or so. Fuck yeah, fuck yeah, frequent. Fuck yeah, prolific as fuck. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, can you talk to us about like how do you? Because I think the problem with these platforms and the, the the problem that I that I face is when you're trying to create on something that is really not engineered for creators, but engineered for mm. consumers and for mm. addictive potential. Mm. I kind of now see social media as like a Navy SEAL that I, I go in, I bust out a bunch of content, and then I get out. Um, but it's not how the platform wants you to operate. And that doesn't really get you a huge amount of traction with, with growth. Can you talk to us a bit about that? Absolutely. Um, I, I feel one of the biggest things that holds people back from, let's just say Twitter growth. I don't know about Instagram growth or any of the other stuff. Uh, what holds people back is not being prolific enough. Uh, so I chose Twitter. One of the reasons I chose Twitter is one, because it was actually growing and I was really good at it. So I guess that is a lesson in itself, like stick to your strengths. I chose one thing, Twitter, because I know that if I can get, like, not if, when I get my Twitter up to, let's just say, 100K plus, right? I can facilitate that into the other social angles. But I want to, like, it's like a magnifying glass. You want to put your focus on one thing, grow it the fuck out, so we can actually have enough escape velocity to influence the other social areas, right? So... Even right now, like I don't have, I have my Instagram on private and I have literally like, I think it's like hundred people trying to, trying to see my face and my family and like all this kind of shit. And I was like, well, are you going to open your Instagram? Like not until I figure out what the aesthetic is going to be right now. I'm just going to be on Twitter. And there's something to be said about magnifying your focus on one thing. So I was talking about being prolific and when I do Twitter, I do two things. One of them is I schedule posts, right? I schedule posts on Hype Fury, whatever it is, but I shoot a lot from the hip. So I am, one of the strengths of me is actually my ADD, you know, my attention deficit disorder. So I literally come, like, there'll be a thought that shoots out into my mind that I'm like, oh God, that's good. So I'll shoot from the hip. I will put it on Twitter regardless of whatever I scheduled for that day. And usually those are the thoughts that everyone's just like, gets really super polarized on and you either love it or you don't. Right. And you're not just prolific with your, with your thoughts and your content, you're prolific with your engagement. And what I mean by engagement means two angles. One of them is engaging with other people. And I'll tell you actually something that I found to increase the amount of followers that I got, which was, which seems simple but it, I don't know, I guess no one knows it, is to engage with, uh, let's just say your peeps, to engage with the people you want to associate with, which is actually something that you're doing right now, Dr. Yusuf. And right. you want to be prolific. Like, so I, I post stuff and then it'll get like 100 comments. I am literally trying to answer every single one of those comments. So the more comments that I answer, the more followers come into the honeypot. Because they'll be like, oh, shit, this guy actually answered me. And I'm literally there between, you know, my, my baby, you know, like playing with my baby, going back to Twitter, playing with my baby, doing work, whatever it is. And then I'm very prolific with the people I want to associate with and that who I want to have associated with me. So you'll see me on, let's just say, like, you can see my likes and comments and like all this kind of stuff. I am, a, this is actually the biggest secret on my timeline. 
I am liking anything that is halfway somewhat coherent into what I find is beneficial for my mind, right? I will like everything. So I, you, yeah. you have this person that said to you that Twitter is toxic. And I think what yes. I'm realizing is that Twitter can be toxic or it yes. can be beneficial, but it's about, I guess, what you tell the algorithm. And I think early on, because I was a bit indiscriminate with my Twitter use, mm. I was getting stuff that didn't actually fit what I wanted to see. Yes. Um, but this yes. thing about the uh, engaging, like I've only, I mean, on a very small scale, I'm, um, we, we hit 2,000 followers recently. I think we've gained another 100 in the last week, which I know is like, yeah. that's the, yeah. every five minutes for you. But It's great um, though. That's great. But, but yeah, like it's, I'm quite pleased with seeing that actually there is a, it's nice to know that there is a return on investment of just engaging. And because yes. the worst thing is feeling like you're just posting out to a black hole and you're like, well, mm. this is kind of not worth well, my he, time. Here's what you do, right? It's like, so, so we said like, you know, people call it Twitter toxic, whatever. And it's really just a, it's, it's really just who they're following and the realities that they're creating for themselves. For me, Twitter is actually one of the most positive places because you curate the amount of the people that follow you and the people you follow. High curation, high curation, right? So if I were like, let's just say I was in Dr. Yusuf's you know, position, right? And you hate toxicity and you hate negativity, right? You want, you want Twitter to be a positive place for you. So I would actually follow maybe 90, let's just say 100 people who you would want to fuck with you. And I look at people on tiers. There are people who are at your follower level. There are people who are below you trying to get to where you are. And then there are people, actually, so there's many tiers. So there are people above you who are just above you. And there are people who are way above you. <laughs> and you're just trying to get on their radar, right? But you are engaging with all of them. And you are trying to be like their biggest fan essentially, which, which I am. If you're positive and you're putting out a good message out there into the world, then I am behind that. So if you engage with these people, if you keep on liking, commenting on every single thing that they post, then what's going to happen is you're going to notice like your follower count go up, right? You're going to notice that your, the amount of people that engage with you goes up. Because this is like a low-key law of uh, reciprocity, right? It's like you're you're liking and commenting. Guess what? That's going to happen to you. So what I mean by being prolific is being prolific from all angles, from engaging with your own peeps, from engaging with other people you want to associate with, and also engaging with those big dogs. Get on their radar so they can eventually like, you know, one retweet from like Zuby could give you like a hundred, two hundred thousand freaking impressions on it, right? So, so that's how I attacked Twitter, and then at this point right now, all I all I focus on is just like engaging, posting, engage, post, engage. That's it. I think that's quite that's what's quite unusual about you because normally you see an account with twenty thousand followers, and I you're like, well, I'm probably not going to get a response from this person. Like, I, so you just, so I imagine there's almost a sense of whether it produces an air of prestige or if it produces an air of like, well, I'm not going to like engage in the conversation because they're, they're not going to see it. Um, but that produces a different response to like, when I see you personally and there's like, bang, 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 like just loads of, you know, saying hello to everyone. Mm -hmm. I want to actually throw in there because you, you, you actually touched upon a really good point right? It's uh, yes, I am engaging with 
every single person on there, I've noticed a correlation. The number of tweets I put out there, whether it's an engagement with someone or whether it's my own posts, the number of posts I put out there correlates with the number of followers that I have. So this is where I can see Johnny fuming because I think Johnny's approach is Johnny's an accountant just uh, to, to lay yeah. some background. Okay. And so having <laughs> for his sins. And so <laughs> having like direct Poor guy. <laughs> oh, no, oh, no. And, and so like, I think he very much sees things as like, I, there needs to be a direct attribution of, effort to mm. reward and being able to mm-hmm. see when, when that is. And there, and there may be a time lag with that, but I suppose yes. the difficulty with Twitter is conceptually you're like, I'm getting these followers, but where are they actually coming from? Like specifically what, and it, it feels more like a kind of force, like a wave, mm. but you're not really able to identify where each thing is coming from. It's just a synergy. And so, yeah. So sorry, let me interject. So this is actually something I learned from Oliver Canton. Um, have you guys heard of him before? French guy. Olivier. He's a French, yeah, yeah. I don't want to say. I was gonna say, yeah. Um, <laughs> I remember there's one time I was in in Costa Rica. This is just like on a tangent. Um, I was chilling with some French guy, and then uh, some girl called him a frog, and he got so pissed. Oh, really? He got so pissed. I was like, dude, this, this, you know, it's fine. People call me chink all the time. You know, like it's just a word. Oh, anyways, I didn't want to call him a frog, but this is actually something I learned about. Oliver or learn from Oliver. I just saw him like, I remember I had this like mentality where, you know, I'm cool. Um, I don't need to like other people's shit. Everybody's got to like my shit, you know, I'm too cool. So when I saw him liking everything and when I saw him commenting on everything, I was like, and he was growing like super fast. I was like, well, if you can't beat him, join him mm. and let's see what happens. So with, uh, with Johnny, right. You're not going to see the correlation over the span of two days, three days of doing this. You will see the correlation over an entire week of doing this, right? And it's actually not hard because if you look at my replies, I'm not trying to be a dick, but I'm literally being like, agreed, thank you, emoji, emoji. I just want them to know I see what they're saying, especially when you get up there. Yeah, especially when you get up there, so... So yeah, you're not going to see the corollary immediately, or you may if you're lucky. But but yeah, that's that's the whole point of it. It's not supposed to happen in like a couple of days. It's supposed to happen, and then at that point, it feels like a force. It feels like momentum. Now I have a question. I have to go take a piss very quickly. Can I do this? Like yeah, yeah I've been, for it. me and Johnny will just two liters of water. Vibe. I'm not going to bring you with me though. All right. That's oh, a shame. Have I have I mis misattributed your no, no. Um, well your approach to direct return on no so no, no. <laughs> it's more that i know exactly how many opt-ins we have from twitter that's what i care about the, the, this is it yeah so yeah. like the um the like you you put in a certain amount of time or or ad yeah. spend it's just being able to appraise the platform so the most important thing from the platform is is assuming you care about the the sales from the platform is the revenue from the platform. Then the second thing is lead generate leads generated from the platform. And then the third thing is followers in the platform combined with the constraint of how much effort does the platform take to maintain. 
And if all those things are aligned, then then you pick the platform and choose and do the platform. But I think Twitter has Twitter's slowly starting to tick that box for us, which I would never have guessed. To be honest, I wouldn't have either. I felt yeah. like I was just like just kind of spraying it about and not really not really getting much out of it. But something I'd keen to ask him is the next step, which is the conversion. Like yeah. how does that translate into the sales funnel? Here he is. Here he is. Sorry, sorry about that, boys. That's cool. Drink, drink two liters of water in one hour, and uh, you suffer the consequences. Fair enough. Straight through. <laughs> oh yeah, we were drinking this before. I gotta bring this. Bring this big boy. Back. Look at that. Just to let Look everybody know, this is what I'm. You know, what brand is that? Like, how do I get one uh, of those? That's what I'd like to know. Uh, you just get Please. them off of Amazon. Don't don't pay extra for the brand, please. I feel like that's the sort of thing that yeah. when I try and get it in the UK, I won't be able to. Okay. Four, 48 no. pounds shipping. Yeah, pounds. Jeez. Two liter oh. metal water bottle. I mean, I, I feel quite inadequate now. Like, this is my, my little piddly bottle. Yeah, you see, this is the thing. Like, what, just when I'm looking at them... Fucking dog just walked in. <laughs> it's like that... Um, the kid. Have, have, you seen the, have you seen the clip of like the, the guy being interviewed on TV and his daughter walks in the back and they're doing all this? Oh yeah, I have. Yeah. That's he's trying to do something like super serious, and he's going like, yeah, he's got. He's like, Shut up, dog! All right, I think I found one. All right, I think I found one. Thank God. Shit, we're Amazoning on this podcast too. We're, we're Amazoning. I love yeah. this Amazon. I love this podcast. This commerce, so, so capitalism, so like chill. You guys are really chill around here. We knew this would be an expensive one. I'm, I'm going to have to ask you what that soundproof wall thing is as well. So. <laughs> Um, but Dan, we, yeah. we, when you were having a wee, Johnny and I um, battled it out. We had a we, we had a fierce argument about mm. um, about this nice. model. And uh, what we wanted to know is kind of this this law of loose ties that's happening with traffic and growth. Mm-hmm. How does that apply to conversions and your sales funnel? So right now. Um, I, I set my, I actually set my targets pretty low because I'm not necessarily in like super client getting mode at this point. So anywhere between, okay, so anywhere between three to four applications come in per week. All right. This is me not really hard selling anything. This is actually me posting. I've never like, seen you pitch anything actually. Never, never. I just post like a before and after and then just whoever's from the 20K that wants a result like that just like contacts me. And they apply. If I really pushed it, I could get, I could get as, I could get a lot more than that. If I actually, if I actually put the actions into place, which I don't really want to do, you know, is this like, Jose Rosado's influence? Because I we bought his mm, course actually. It was you know you must have seen Jack Coulson, yes. great guy, uh, yeah. body weight fitness minimalist guy. Yeah. He recommended that we get the Jose Rosado course. Very mm. very cheap and a, a very kind of applicable stuff and yeah he was kind of saying that as you said you have these like phases where you do the growth phase and you're not really actively pitching and then you do the like intermittent pitch phase but a lot of it's kind of just people approach you yeah i i i I can't speak on jose's stuff because i didn't get it from him um i learned from yuri for uh, at first and then i learned this guy yuri alkane and then i learned from this guy sterling griffin and um I guess when it comes to like the, I guess you could say the high ticket coaching, I have done things a little bit differently uh, from the people that I've been working with. They want to scale their coaching programs up to get as many clients as possible 
personally for me, I have set my life up to work with a very small number of people at a very high price. Right. So I want to, I want to actually like narrow myself into working with people who can one afford my prices. And I I don't really want to, I'm not going to promote whatever my price is on here, but it's pretty big. And two people who are just like super serious and ready to go. Actually, sorry to say, but I actually have a call or I had a call at 10 o'clock in which I have to get to. (laughs) It's Uh 10 o'clock. That's cool. Anyways, uh, let's do maybe like one or two more questions and then we'll, we'll close this up. Cool. All right. Well, we can, we can, we can just wrap it there if you want. Like, unless there's anything uh, else you want to cover. There was, uh, there's a couple of things if we could just quickly whip yeah, through. Let's do it. Go, yeah, 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 let's go. Okay. So you, you mentioned the microdosing and we said we'd loop mm. back to that. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the microdosing, I do it with one of two things. I do it with uh, either mushrooms or psilocybin. That's what they, that's what they would, technically call it and i do it with uh lsd so i wrote a whole microdosing thread on this but it's very interesting to me in regards to microdosing because it is supposed to be a subperceptible feeling and it is a subperceptible feeling and you feel different but you don't feel different it's really weird and it's really weird to explain but i found through the ways that i've tested that microdosing has a couple of benefits. Number one that we talked about was the default mode network, just making sure that we're smoothing out those grooves, <clears throat> giving you like different perceptions, different options to think. The other one is creativity. So creativity is higher with LSD. Creativity and productivity is higher with LSD when you microdose with it. It's also high with psilocybin, but psilocybin or mushrooms have an introspective attachment to it. So psilocybin is one of those things that will show you the truth. LSD is one of those things that, where you ask yourself to think more expansively. Let's create, let's brainstorm, let's see exactly what our limits are. So these to me, I don't want to call it like the limitless pill, but these to me are going to be what I would call the mainstream, one of the mainstream ways in which to alter your brain chemistry for the better. And I, I remember this is not, this is actually, this guy didn't say this towards microdosing, but he said this towards LSD. And he said, uh, psychedelics are going to be for the mind, what the microscope was to biology. And we haven't even scratched the surface as to what all this stuff does. So I don't want to, I don't want to put it out there that you should do this stuff willy nilly. It's, it's quite dangerous if you don't know what you're doing and if you don't have like, you know, if you don't actually do your own research, but at the same time, like I look at this as like the next frontier and the next way in which all of us can expand our minds, bring out positive change into this world and, uh, and do so in a way that is authentic to you and to your inside. Very cool. Yeah. I think, um, as you said, we're on the frontier. It may be another, 10 to 15 years um, for modern psychiatry to, to start picking up on these things. But um, I think MDMA is probably going to be the first one that's adopted into modern MDMA assisted psychotherapy, which is pretty mm-hmm. cool. Um, so the, the, the only other thing I wanted to ask you about was that like, 
So you, you work with a select few high ticket mm-hmm. clients, mm-hmm. but you're continuing to grow a following. Is the mm-hmm. goal eventually to have a lower ticket offering that you sell at volume? That is not the goal. Uh, that's a tactic, but that is not the goal. Um, the goal for me, <clears throat> at least in the next three years, and I actually wrote this, uh, actually did this vivid vision. I would get the book, take yourselves to like some beach, write out the vision for propane fitness. Amazing. Take some uh, drugs while you're at it. And the, the vision for me is to, is to actually be the number one top dude when it comes to anyone thinking about, or not anyone, but any entrepreneur thinking about getting into shape. Now, what does that look like? That looks like, um, to me, it looks like obviously like higher tickets, people I'm working with on a one-on-one very close basis. And it does incorporate lower tickets as well with people who are more like in the group coaching, working with like coaches of mine and all this kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Right. Cause it seemed like you're leaving a lot on the table if you've got a limited yeah. kind of. That's fine with me. Like my, my purpose is not money, right? Like it's not money at all. I've made money and I, I'm going to make more money. I am. And whenever like, so here's the thing, like my, my coaches are like, Hey, everybody go build the seven figure business and don't worry about how you're going to do it. Right. And because I've come from the background that I come from in terms of having all these employees, in terms of like having a systemized business and all this kind of stuff, I'm still leery, you know, I'm still, I'm kind of like looking at it. I'm like, I'm taking my time with it. I'm like, okay, so what exactly do I want this business structure to look like? What exactly does, how exactly does my lifestyle correlate with the business that I'm actually building? And I'm still figuring out these questions. Right now, I'm okay with charging a very high ticket, working with people one-on-one. But eventually, and I've been talking to other people like this, we're changing that system, obviously. We're going to get more people in. But I have to, like for me, I haven't got to that point where I've really figured out how exactly I would like to bring out that change that I want to bring out. And right now, I'm okay with uh, being a merc or a mercenary, so to speak, and uh, posting as much as possible on Twitter and then eventually the answer is going to come to me. Um, hopefully I don't have to do drugs to get there, but you know, who knows? It makes sense. I mean, you, you've, if you, you build, you're building a lot of capital in this way and then you can always squeeze the lemon later on. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, I, I think like people get caught up with uh, looking at one business model and they're like, I got to do that business model. Right. And I look at, I look at my life, a little bit differently. I, I, I see things from a primarily lifestyle aspect, right? From a primary lifestyle aspect. You know, does that mean like I'm going to go like speak on stages and travel the world and spend time away from my family? No. Like I know like what I want my lifestyle to look like. So now it's setting up the business in order to facilitate that, that lifestyle for myself while making a lot of money. And I think if you do that, or for me, if I do that, then I'll be in a position where I'm actually going to be liking what I'm doing, right? There's so many ways in which to make money, man. And everyone thinks it's like the only way to scale is through volume, right? More clients, more this, more that. I'm trying to scale through value. 
So I'm currently charging whatever I'm charging right now. And I'm building up my value to a point where maybe I only have to work with 10 clients a year and I'm already making seven figures and I can leave, uh, leave myself open to doing like a lot more stuff. So, you know, that's, I'm trying to figure out what the business model is specifically for me rather than trying to like incorporate everyone else's business model and as my own, if that makes any sense. And this has been awesome. Thank yeah. you so much for coming on. We'll let you go and, uh, yeah, Get the call that you're already running late. To. Yeah, shit. I know. Um, standard like standard me. question. Yeah, I'm guessing you're going to say Twitter, mm. but if people want to find out more about you or follow you or see yeah. what it is that you're doing, um, okay. so do so go? first first thing is uh, go to uh, Twitter and I'm at Fit Founder, one word. And uh, the next thing is uh, I have a website. Uh, go to HighPerformanceFounder.com. And that is where I'm going to be doing my articles. That's where I'm going to be doing my podcasts. And that's where you can subscribe to my newsletter. And, and yeah, you know, I, I would love to have you on this journey. I feel like we are just beginning right now. You know, so the rocket ship is about to take off. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to con- seeing the continued growth, man. Um, yeah, I appreciate it. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for coming on. And uh, I hope your, your call attendee isn't too pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Uh, it'll be fine. But uh, but yeah, thank you very much for having me on. This has been a very enjoyable podcast. Thank it's you very great much for done. making that way. Yeah, man. Awesome. Yeah, awesome cool. guys. We'll we'll send you a um a trailer and and um link when it's when it's published. It should be mid September. Okay. Um, awesome, man. I appreciate that. Love a share. Yeah. Cool. All right. If you guys have Thanks. any more questions, don't be afraid to like you know DM me or whatever it is. I gotta go though. Uh, so I'll talk to you guys later. All right. Thank you. All right, man. Bye-bye. Speak All right. soon. All right. Take Happy care. Day. Have a good one. Want to learn more about the systems we use to run, build, and scale propanefitness.com? Head over to propanefitness.com forward slash business podcast and you can get your hands on our free training that covers the seven steps that we take with every client that we help build their own online business and also the seven steps that we use to successfully build Propane Fitness. We walk through the sales systems, the delivery systems, follow-up, remarketing, how to basically build your program so that it delivers coaching to your clients without you being there 24-7. We really do cover the full thing, right? And if you want to continue even further and potentially work with us, there's a chance to book in a call to have an informal chat with Yusuf or I to just basically see if any of our programs would be a fit to help you get from where you are to where you want to get to. So go to propanefitness.com forward slash business podcast today and get access to that. If you'd like to learn just more about Yusuf and I, more about us, what we do, follow us on the various channels, the best place to go is our YouTube channel. We have a load of stuff from fitness content, productivity content, why Yusuf slept on the floor for several months, why he's been having cold showers. There's always stuff on there that's entertaining and hopefully informative. So just go to YouTube, search for Propane Fitness, and you can find out a bit more about us there as well. Speak to you on the next episode.